Let may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Let's keep your Bibles open to 1 Samuel, and you might find the outline in the bulletin helpful. Now, in so many stages of my life, I have seen women crying, whether it's uh, my sister or a relative or a colleague at work. Different stages of my life, you see women crying, and as I notice a woman crying, the question that always comes to my mind is, why is she crying? Right, so for uh, any gentleman, that must be the question, why is she crying? Well, there is a woman crying in our passage. So let's go and ask, why is she crying? But we're going to look at this uh, story in five scenes. We're going to ask Hannah who, and we're going to look at Hannah's distress, Hannah's decision, Hannah's delivery, and Hannah's declaration. So before we uh, see why she's crying, we must find out more about this person, Hannah. So look at your Bible in verse 1, and all the names of places and people that the writer of 1 Samuel has given to us. Any of the names of the people or place are familiar to you. Any ring a bell, any you look at and you see, ha, I recognize this, this is significant. Now, because we are Singaporeans, because we are not so schooled in the Old Testament, obviously, right, these things will not have much significance. But even if this were a room that is full of Jewish rabbis, they would also scratch their heads because the very reason why the writer of 1 Samuel put these names and places down is to say these people that God is going to use, they are actually nobodies. They come from a place that is insignificant. They are uh, uh, descendants of people who are insignificant. So the story starts out with saying, uh, this Hannah comes from a family who is very ordinary. The significance of these names and places is in their very insignificance. So that's Hannah's who. The second scene shows Hannah's distress, verses 3 to 8. Why is she crying? Why is she in distress? Because she had no children. She could not conceive. She was barren. Now we must realize that in that society which Hannah came from, to have children, indeed to have more children meant more wealth. Because you could have more children working in the fields, gathering a bigger harvest. You could have more children uh, running different businesses. and It would mean more money, more wealth. Having more children would also mean in your old age, there would be greater security. Now, because the uh, high mortality rate, you know, people would die at different ages. If you have more children, the higher the chance that when you're old, there will be a good number to share the load of looking after you. Uh, in fact, it was for this reason that uh, Seng Yun last week was trying to persuade me to have three kids. Uh, so, so even now where healthcare is so good, where there's you know, nursing home and all that, 
there's this wisdom. How much more back in that time, when there was no CPF, you know, uh, none of these things, how much more crucial to have more children in order that in your old age there would be their future security. But also on a national level, when a country does not have more children, it is uh, at a greater risk of being invaded and overtaken by the enemies. Because if there were more children, then there would be more people who could sign up uh, and defend a country. So you can imagine for Hannah, on top of that natural uh, human desire to have children and not being able to, there was all these other layers of expectations on her. That's why she was crying. That's why she could not eat. That's why she was in distress. And so when Penina, when the Xiao Lao Po provokes her, the Da Lao Po, uh, for not being able to have children, uh, what is Penina doing? She's actually acting as the voice of the society. She's actually uh, acting as the voice of the society, laying its expectations and values on Hannah. Saying, you are not measuring up. According to the, our society's values and expectations, you are not measuring up. You are not meeting up to the standard. What does Elkanah do? Look with me to verse 8. In his attempt to comfort her, Elkanah says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, when I asked uh, the Bible study group this week, what do you think of uh, Elkanah's attempt at comfort? Uh, only the women realize this. And Janice said, his comfort means nothing because he's going to marry another wife. <laughs> I never noticed that, but only a woman will. You see, but, but what is he trying to offer? He's trying to say to her, my love should be enough for you. Like we see in the beginning, he gives her a double portion. It's, it's, it's true that he loves her. But he's saying to her, yes, you can't have children, but don't be so sad. Don't, be, don't feel so bad. My love should be enough. My care for you should be enough. You are the apple of my, life, uh, my eye. Now, what is Hannah's response to all this? Well, we go into the third scene where we look at Hannah's decision. Look with me to verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. In response to Penina's taunting, in response to Elkanah's attempt to comfort, the writer of 1 Samuel tells us, she stood up. After eating and drinking, she stood up. Now why are we told this? Notice this is, she doesn't say anything to Penina. She doesn't respond in any way to Elkanah. Her response immediately after these two things is that she stood up. Now, Robert Alter, who is uh, a Jew and a Hebrew scholar, tells us this, that the, the phrase she stood up 
is actually an idiomatic expression. It's, it's, a, it's a 成语, but it's an expression to mean that she resolves in her heart to do something. So she doesn't respond verbally to Panana. She doesn't say anything in response to Elkanah. What she does is she stood up. She resolved in her heart to do something. Now, what is it that she resolved to do? Well, we must see what Penina represents. Penina, with her, her taunting, represents asking her to find her worth. Penina is a voice that says, find your meaning. Find your identity in conforming to society. Find your worth in meeting up to society's standards and expectations. If you measure up, then there's every reason to feel good. But because you don't, you have every reason to feel bad. But Elkanah, Elkanah's way of comfort is to say, find your worth. Find your identity in the fact that I love you. Find your fulfillment in in relationship, in love. Build your life around me. Build your life on the fact that I love you. But Hannah stood up. She arose. She resolved in her heart to do something. That she would not listen to those voices. She resolved instead to place her ultimate hope. Not on what society says. Not on the relationship. She places it on God. She goes to God and she pours out her heart to the Lord. It is to God that she resolves to look to. Read with me the prayer that she says in verse 11. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then... I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now some of the questions that uh, come up as we hear Hannah's prayer is don't tell me in the past she never prayed like that. Because we are told right, Penina year after year provoke her. I mean, is it, didn't she turn to the Lord in the past? I mean, didn't she pray before in the past? So that's one question. The other question is, this prayer sounds like she's bargaining with God. Is that what she's doing? Okay, let's answer the first question first. Uh, didn't she pray to the Lord in the past? Yes, she did. But uh, I think what happened in the past was when she prayed to the Lord for a child, she was praying, please give me a child for me. But here in this prayer that's recorded for us, she's saying, now I want to have a child for you. Because very clearly in the prayer, she's saying, this child, if you give me one, will be given over to you, will be the Lord's. And it's not like the child will be by her side, and then this child is dedicated to to the Lord. No, given over means that the child will no longer live with her. See, that's the significance of the fact of saying no razor will touch his head. Meaning that he will be a priest in the temple. He is given over. So, remember all that we said about why people want to have a child. If he's given over to the Lord, 
then he won't be able to help her in the fields make more money. If he's given over to the Lord, then he won't be there to care for her in her old age. If he's given over to the Lord, then she cannot have that pride of walking around in a market. Haha, this is my son, I have children. Uh, he can contribute to the defense of our country. He will be as if she doesn't have a child. So in the past she prayed, have, I want to have a child for me. But now she resolved in her heart to take a decision not to listen to these voices, but to have a child for the Lord. She focuses her hope on God. So why is this also not a bargain? It sounds like a bargain, but why is it not a bargain? Now you see, before she made that prayer, her face was downcast. The, the before is like that. Oh, she's crying, she would not eat, right? Then after, after the prayer, she's uplifted, she's happy. So before, after. Now, if it was a bargain, what would happen in the middle would be pregnancy. Before, sad. But then in the middle, pregnancy. Uh, the bargain, you know, fulfilled. Then happy. That would be a bargain. But in the story, it's very clear before she was downcast, what happened in the middle was the prayer. What changed was that she had committed it over to the Lord. You give and you take away, but still I will say, blessed be your name. She had come to have that attitude. Now, the question is, the question that we should all be asking is, how did she do it? Where did she find the strength to, to, to shut out those voices? Because all of us hear those same voices. All of us hear the same call from society to measure up. And that if we don't measure up, we should feel bad that we are nothing, that we are hopeless. All of us feel the same temptation to find fulfillment and hope in a human relationship. There are some here who want to get married, but are not. There are so many people who want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and, and they want to find their, their identity and worth, and that someone loves me, someone cares for me. And so, it's an important question. Where did she find the strength to not be enslaved to those voices, but to place her hope in God? Well, the answer is found in the next scene in what Elkanah says and in what Hannah herself declares in chapter 2. So firstly, let's look at the fourth scene, uh, Hannah's delivery. So the Lord remembers her and she has a baby. And she tells her husband, okay, you go up to the temple first, let me stay back and wean, until this child is weaned, then I will go to the temple. Because she knows when she goes to the temple, that will be when she will have to fulfill her vow and give him over to the Lord. And Elkanah, her husband, because he loves her, agrees. But look with me to verse 23. It's something uh, puzzling that he says. His response to her is, Do what seems best to you. Elkanah, her husband, told her, Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. 
only may the Lord make good his word. Now, in the book of 1 Samuel, as far as we've read, the Lord had not said anything. Penina has been speaking, Elkanah has been speaking, Hannah prayed, you know, Eli also prayed, Eli also said something, but the Lord has not said anything. So, what is Elkanah referring to? Now, the answer is he is uh, referring to, and he, he may have spoken at this point more profoundly than he knew, he's referring to the word of blessing. He's referring to the promise of God to save. Because somehow, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Elkanah discerns that what was happening to Hannah, that his answer to Hannah's prayer is somehow part of his greater purpose to save. He had promised to save. And this Elkanah perceives, and maybe he's speaking more profoundly than he knew, but he perceives in this God working out his plan to save and to bless. Now, again, we're asking, remember, we're asking the question, where did she find the strength to not be enslaved? Well, we see the same idea in Hannah's declaration in chapter 2. So in chapter 2, she makes this declaration. And I want you to notice with me in this uh, prayer of hers, there is progression, there is a pattern, and there is a person. Look at verse 1. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. So she starts off her prayer by talking about how the Lord had come to her rescue. What the Lord had done for her individually. But there is a progression. Because by the end, look at verse 10. By the end, she says, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. So, there is a progression from her individually to what God will do on a big scale, on a grand scale. So, she discerns in her individual deliverance. Somehow, is part of God's corporate and grand and big work of saving. So there's a progression. And she also sees a pattern. Look at verse 4 and 5. She says, The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. See, the warriors, high and mighty, but they are broken. But then those who stumble, now they are armed with strength. Then verse 5, Those who are full. Now what? Now they got to hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry, now hunger no more. There is a pattern. And the pattern is what was thought strong, what was arrogant and exalted, there is this pattern where when the Lord comes, all these things will be reversed. Those who were full, uh, a lot of money, now they will be brought low. But those who were hungry now, lifted up. There is this reversal in the way God works. And in the way God works, in the way He brings about His salvation plan, there is a person. Look at uh, the second half of verse 10. 
Hannah says, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now the reasons why these words are so strange, and in fact there are some Bible scholars who say, this prayer cannot have been prayed by Hannah. Or at least some will say, oh, okay, the, the rest of it can be prayed by Hannah, but verse 10 cannot have been prayed by Hannah. It was, it was inserted at a later date. Someone else added it in. And the reason why these Bible scholars are so reluctant to ascribe the whole prayer to Hannah is because at that time, when Hannah was praying, there was no king. So what is she talking about? See, these Bible scholars have so much difficulty accepting the fact that the Holy Spirit can actually inspire people to say something that will be recorded in Holy Scripture. But for us, uh, we know you think so complex. Hannah said this because she was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in her discernment of the way God works, she discerns that he will use a king. And so she's speaking ahead, looking to King David. But obviously we know she is, by the Holy Spirit, speaking even beyond King David to King David's greater son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, when he came, also saw all these things reverse because he won by losing. Because he saved by he himself being condemned. Because he brought life through his death. There is this reversal. See, so what is happening? Hannah shows us that she has aligned her life to God's promise and his promise and his purpose to save. She found meaning, not in living up to what society said. She found her identity not in a relationship, but she found her meaning and her, her worth and her identity in being part of God's purpose. Lessons for us to learn very clearly. We must place our hope in the God who has promised to save us. Friends, we see so much more of how God has purposed to save us than Hannah. Now the Lord Jesus has come. Now he has given his life. Now he has risen again. We see so much more than Hannah of how God has purposed to save. And friends, we must let the reality, the awesomeness, the grandeur, the magnificence of what God has done fill us that it is bigger and better than what society says. It is bigger and better than, than what we can find in a human relationship. Let that free us from trying to find our identity in conforming to society or to other voices. Second thing we learn is when we pray. When we pray. When we pray, we can rest our prayer. We can rest our prayer on the certainty of what God has promised. We can rest our prayers that the, that the God who we pray to has promised to save us. He has promised to do good to us. And the third thing we can learn is that we must realize that 
so often the, the trials and the suffering we go through now, we will often not see the reason for it. Because for Hannah, year after year, she was provoked. Year after year, she, she suffered. But then, in God's mercy, her prayer was answered. But she would not live to see the role that Samuel, her son, would play. She would not live to see how Samuel would be the one who would choose King David and how all these things would fit in and how, obviously, King David would be a figure of uh, pointing ahead to King David's greatest. And she would not live to see all these things. And so I think it is the same for us, that our trials and suffering, we will not, in this life, see the reason for. The song that we sang earlier in the year, The Perfect Wisdom of Our God, has this line which uh, expresses this, what I'm trying to say very well. It says, Each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials I choose to say, Your perfect will in your perfect way. Yes, so often the suffering and the trials we go through now, in this life we will not know. But I like to imagine that at the end, when Jesus returns, it's as if all our trials, you know, we are only seeing the back of this big, big carpet, this big tapestry. And, and, and from the back, it looks random and, 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 and confused and meaningless. But at the end, when the Lord Jesus returns, we will see the other side. And it will be a beautiful picture. We will see how that strand of sorrow that we went through, the place it has in God's purposes for making all things new, all things beautiful. So brothers and sisters, place your hope in the God who has promised to save and bless us. And he has done it in the Lord Jesus Christ, who won through losing, who brought life for us through himself dying. Let's pray together. Father, please fill our eyes with a vision of what you are doing to save us. Fill our eyes with the grandeur of who Jesus is. That though he was God, condescended and was brought down so low, that he might save us. And fill our eyes with the way he is exalted now. Name above all names, king above all kings. And it is to him that we look it is to him that we place our ultimate hope. Amen.